Welcome to Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Rachel Geringer, and in this episode, we hear from Sister Bernie Kinney and Nurse Tanya Gully about the book they co-wrote. It's called Better for Being with You, A Philosophy of Care, and it describes the life events of Sister Bernie Kinney, who has worked as a nurse in Ireland, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and California before settling in Southwest Virginia 40 years ago. She helped establish a mobile health unit and has been a tireless advocate for the advancement of healthcare delivery in rural Appalachia. Sister Bernie and Tanya join me in the studio to talk more about the book, their work, and the state of rural healthcare. So, um, the first thing would be just if you both would like to introduce yourselves, who you are, where you are, what you do. Do you want to go first? Okay. I'm Tanya Gully. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been practicing more than 20 years in Southwest Virginia. I work part-time at the Health Wagon. I'm also a nurse educator at the University of Pikeville. I'm the RN to BSN chair. Great. Thank you. I'm Sister Bernie Kenny. I'm a family nurse practitioner also. And I've been in Clinchco, Virginia, which is about uh, 30 miles from here, for 40 years. And I do work at a small clinic called Appalachian Family Care part-time. And my interests are empowering people to understand their bodies and make the changes that make them healthier wealthier and wiser (laughs) Ah. (laughs) that's a good tagline right there there you go bernie (laughs) get me warmed up (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you're here today to talk about a new book right we are what's the book called and what's kind of a little bit of a description of it for listeners okay the book is titled better for being with you a philosophy of care we uh sister bernie and i started to work on this book in 2017. It uh, gives an overview of uh, Sister Bernie's uh, early life and her work with the Medical Missionaries of Mary, and then the book moves into uh, her work in Central Appalachia, where she moved in the late 70s. She came to Clinchco, Virginia. Um, she uh, started out there uh, in Clinchco by doing home visits and seeing people that she knew needed uh, help maybe with their blood pressure or counseling with nutrition or just needed a friend to talk to or someone to pray with. And uh, then she was able to secure a health wagon bus and that was the beginning of the health wagon where um, she would go across the mountains and into the hollers and take uh, other nurses with her and provide care to folks who couldn't get care otherwise. Hmm. 
And so the book is kind of co-written by you two, is that right? That's correct. And the advantage of that is one stimulates the other. And somebody asked me, what are the last three reflection questions and where did they come from? And I said, it was mutual because when one person thinks of something, we react to, to each other and it makes it more stimulating, I think. Mm. Well, how I'm curious kind of how that writing process went for you. Um, you know, sometimes we think of writing as like a solitary act, but this was a collaboratively put together book. So I'm curious kind of how how it evolved and how you worked together on it. We met on Sunday afternoon and uh, <laughs> just talked over what we had seen that week and reflected on how we were trying to do things with a difference. In healthcare, uh, the economics is driven by how many people you see. In reality, it's needs to be about the quality of care and the comprehensive care, addressing all the issues that people are facing. So we would uh, bounce off between ourselves and try and capture the energy of dealing with the issues. In the beginning, um, it took a little uh, encouragement <laughs> to get Bernie to write her story. So I had talked to Bernie several times before 2017. I, I remember saying, Bernie, have you got your book written yet? I'm working on it, she'd say. I'm working on it. So in 2017, I had the opportunity to travel to Ireland where I was presenting at a Sigma Theta Tau International Nursing Conference. And I asked Bernie um, about Ireland, you know, to give me some ideas what to do while I was there. And uh, she called me a couple of days before my flight and she said, I have you scheduled to meet with some of my friends over in Ireland. I want to give you their contact information and they're waiting for your call. Well, little did I know some of her friends were friends that she went to school with while she was in Ireland. So I got to meet up with them, and I was able to go to the mother house where Sister Bernie stayed, and uh, it was in the area right beside the hospital. That particular hospital is not there now, but I got to see where she did her training and meet some of the people that she had went to school with. And at the mother house in Droida, Ireland, there is a room that is devoted to the work of the medical missionaries of Mary across the world. And they had everything just laid out so perfectly. You could go visit and read and look at pictures. And it, it was just perfect the way they had it all laid out. And I got to learn so much about the medical missionaries of Mary. And as I was going through that area on the wall, I seen a picture of Bernie's house. And I thought, oh, my gosh, <laughs> Clinchco is in Ireland. <laughs> There's her home. So uh, when I got home, I was a little bit more persistent with Bernie. I said, Bernie. You've got to write your story because other folks will be here when we are gone and they can read about the things you have done and you can inspire so many health professionals, so many students, so many young people who uh, do not know your story and do not feel your story is even possible. So uh, 
we were able to sit down in 2017. We we would talk, you know, maybe once a month, once every two weeks. We talked about things. I kind of got a timeline of her life and put those things together. And the University of Pikeville Library was so valuable to me because they looked, uh, they were able to look in the archives and archives. I'm sorry, they were able to look in the archives in uh, at for the Boston Globe, and they found some. Uh, publishings from the medical missionaries of Mary and they were very good and helped me kind of get a feel of what it was like when Bernie was there during that time when she was entering the medical missionaries of Mary so um, that was very helpful but the last year that we worked on the book we were very persistent and we met once a week on Sunday after church uh, you know and sometimes even during the week we would meet to uh, get things ready to kind of settle on what we were going to put in the book and get the writing completed. We took a couple trips together also. We went to New York and we went to Boston and you can learn so much uh, in conversations during a drive to Charlotte. Yeah. <laughs> Time in the car is a good good place to learn. Yes, time in the car is <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that's kind of how we got to the book and got through the book. Great. Well, um, I'm going to move my chair here because it's going to make a noise. Um, okay. So I wonder if we could we could sort of for listeners who haven't read the book or um who might not ever get a copy of the book sort of talk about some of your life um and some of your journey to getting here and to this work um so you grew up in boston is that right that's correct and i did my early nurses training in ireland and became a midwife there and then i went to tanzania to a nurse's training school where I worked in the operating room and supervised the delivery room. It was a hundred bed hospital and we had, I think maybe 60 student nurses. And these nurses were learning through English, which was the third language for many of them and it was challenging and we uh, together we made a difference in the history of the country because there was no nursing school in that area mm. yeah well and so um when did you first go to ireland for is that where your medical training started yes in 1960 I went there and then I went to Africa in 1967. I had some experience in the hospital before I went to Africa. Mm. So, And when you went to Ireland, you went because you wanted to learn? I wanted to learn health. My goal was health care rather than education. Uh, the, the two go together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wonder if you could talk about your time in Ireland a little bit. It it sounds like um... it was uh, challenging. It was uh, an on the job style of learning. It wasn't 
you incorporated the theory right away. It was a different model than what we have in the States. And um, the philosophy that was uh, incorporated in my life was see how much you can make a difference. And uh, prior to that, I was a typical teenager and was see how much you can get by with. (laughs) 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 And I changed. (laughs) And see how to how much can you make a difference. And that's what we try to incorporate in the book, that the value of being able to make a difference enriches you. That's where the title comes from. I am better for being with you. Together we'll make a difference. Hmm. I love that. Well, and how old were you when you went to Ireland? I was uh, 19. Wow. And you, you'd grown up in Boston, so in a big city. Yes. And then did you go to a small town in Ireland? Yes, a small town. Do it you remember was, what that was like for you? Were you? Um... It was different. It was uh, certainly uh, some of the terms. I remember being told by somebody to put a rug around a person, an elderly person who was in a wheelchair. And I tried to follow the letter of the word. (laughs) (laughs) And the word meaning was put a blanket around (laughs) somebody. (laughs) But I put a rug around them. (laughs) And there were many mistakes like that. And uh, it was culturally a different culture. And I missed home and... It was a growing experience. Uh, when we started the book, we were focusing on the cultural differences and how important culture is in providing care. We have to be sensitive to the people's background and what people like and want to eat. Beans and cornbread is a staple and it can be it it's what they turn back to and it's it's a rich in nutrients but it's much more the amount and how it's fixed mm-hmm. so. that's interesting well and it sounds like from your experience from Ireland to Tanzania and then to southwest virginia that you've probably experienced a lot of Um, different examples of how a different cultural context affects the ways that you would want to go about providing health care. And I wonder if there's if something you would want to say about that more. Yes, I spent uh, after I was in I was in Tanzania five years. Then I was in Ethiopia two and a half years. I came back to Oakland, California, and I worked in Kaiser Permanente, which is a wonderful model of healthcare. And there I was exposed to Asian people more than I had been in my life before this, and how they believe in uh, using water 
and fasting as being a healing method. So incorporating each different richness was the goal in trying to uh, enrich ourselves and our care for patients. Mm. Are there are there kind of examples like that from each of the places that you were that you could think of of sort of um, a, fo- uh, a like localized specific cultural health practice? <laughs> we have it in the book yeah. about childbirth. Mm. How uh, Tanya, you speak to this because you've experienced <laughs> experienced childbirth. Yes. Um, about biscuits and gravy and high carbohydrates. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, <clears throat> we uh, had talked about. Uh, I know Bernie worked in uh, women's health and at Kaiser Permanente. Correct, Bernie. Yes. And the uh, c- there are there are cultures that you worked with who did not believe in eating a lot after childbirth. I think they were more interesting in maybe drinking warm milk, drinking warm water. But I know here in the Appalachian Mountains, after my childbirth, my neighbors brought me <laughs> biscuits, gravy, uh, pork chops, <laughs> uh, bacon, eggs, lots of high-fat, high-carbs after childbirth, you know, to get you going and to uh, replace, I guess, those calories you lost and to help you with breastfeeding your child, that type thing. So uh, that was very interesting to learn about those things that Bernie knew about other cultures Mm. other than our own. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if Bernie wants to reflect on the uh, mental health aspect in Africa, but uh, there's some interesting things about mental health that they do in Africa as well. Um, Yes. um, Mental health is very rudimentary in the rural areas. It's more developed in the urban areas. And uh, people are taken to a place in the community, but they're protected from each other and from retaliation from the community. But uh, it's very uh, gentle. It's not uh, punitive like it is here. Mm. (laughs) You know, when patients are put in isolation, they are isolated from the community, but they are treated with respect and uh, not as much medication as is used here in the States. Mm. So the comparisons are great. And to motivate people to want to return to the community, people, family members come and spend time with the patient, Mm. which is very enriching. And I've heard them say, the equivalent of there, but for the grace of God, go I. Mm. You know, they they re- recognize their vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And it's not about voodoo or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, 
so how did you end up you you started in Boston and then Ireland and then Tanzania and then Ethiopia and then Oakland, California and then Clinchco, Virginia. How did you find your way to Clinchco and what year was it? What did that look like in the beginning? It was 1978 and um the health care in Dickinson County. There was no hospital. There was no resident Catholic uh, presence. There was no priest. So it was a combination of need and expansion. The faith-based is what we're about. And um, we were invited by Bishop Sullivan, who was a hero of mine and of many people, who had the heart for people. So he invited our group to come, and we three of us came, three healthcare personnel, and we began in a coal camp in Clinchco, and we expanded over the years to now the health wagon sees 20,000 patients in a year. Wow. It's much more than Clinchco. It's in the different counties around, and it's been a blessing yeah. for anybody. Yeah. And so when you first came, the three healthcare providers, were you kind of... Um, did you start right away with this idea of taking medical care to people, or was there kind of a center people would come to and that developed out of your time here? We lived on the edge of the community, and um, we saw the difficulties of transportation and the benefits of going to people's homes. You understand so much more when you go to where people live and you and one of the first things we uh, did in community organizing was to get sewage and water to the town of Clinchco, which means we had to become incorporated and all that stuff. But to have straight pipe for the drainage is very health-wise poor, so that and that was all we had as an option. We were participating in that air right. deficit. So we knew what it was. Mm. No, it wasn't just reading about it. Right. You were living it. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and that has convinced me that when we go to visit people, we gain so much more. And the person gains because they grow in esteem that there is such a thing as commonwealth. We belong to a commonwealth. And each person has dignity and can have a right to the services that we need. Health care needs to be available to everybody. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You're listening to Mountain Talk on WMMT. 
I'm your host, Rachel Geringer, and in this episode, we're hearing from Sister Bernie Kinney and Nurse Tanya Gully about their book, Better for Being With You, A Philosophy of Care. It describes the life of Sister Bernie, who has worked as a nurse in Ireland, Tanzania, Ethiopia, and California, before settling in Southwest Virginia, where she helped found the Health Wagon. Their book can be found on Amazon. Next up, our interview continues. Okay, so one of the chapters in our book is called Listen to Their Voices. This is where we did some semi-structured interviews with uh, patients that Bernie had cared for and some of the providers that she'd worked with over the years. And the common things themes that we um, identified across these interviews with the patients and providers was readiness to teach and learn, respect and respectful care, and resourceful. And looking at readiness to teach and learn, that's important for both the provider as well as the person being cared for because we learn from each other. The provider learns from the patient and the patient learns from the provider. The patient knows things about their problem that they're seeking health help for and the provider has knowledge that can help that patient have a better quality of life and can help treat that problem that they have. So that teaching and learning process is for both the patient and the provider. Also respect and respectful care. Patients recognize when their provider is treating them with respect and they are so much more willing to do things that the provider suggests with regard to their care. Um, The third thing is resourceful. So many patients understood the resourcefulness that Bernie had. If a patient needed medicine, she knew where to get it. If a patient needed bandages, if they needed walkers, if they needed wheelchairs, she knew where to get it and who to ask for if she didn't have it. So the resourcefulness that Sister Bernie was always able to provide the things that were needed. One thing about resourcefulness, in our area, we did not have mental health services when Sister Bernie first started the health wagon. And Sister Bernie was able to provide uh, telehealth for that service, for mental health service, for counseling services. And that was one of the first telehealth um, availabilities in our area. And that was through the health wagon there and a partnership with the University of Virginia. Another aspect of the book that uh, readers are uh, commenting on that they particularly like about the book are the reflection questions at the end of the chapter. So at the end of one chapter, the reflection questions are, have you discovered your purpose in life? Hmm. The next question, what self-care practices do you use? The next, how have you chosen to simplify life? And do you have a bag of tools to use for revitalization? Hmm. What's in it? How often do you use it? You know, as providers of care, we seldom look at our own needs. And especially women in our area, we're looking at the needs of our children, our husbands, our partners, 
we seldom look at our own needs or even step back and realize that we have needs. Hmm. Well, and that kind of makes me want to ask a question about, um, clearly you've, you've, um, kind of honed in on a difference in the, in the theory of care that, that sister Bernie and, you know, this kind of rural healthcare network that you've been a part of are providing, um, in comparison to sort of a, maybe some other kinds of healthcare that's out there. And I wonder if you could talk about, um, maybe some of the, like, the healthcare practices that that this is responding to that you think aren't that effective. Does that question make sense? It does. Do you want? I feel like we've talked about this a lot because healthcare is becoming more a business than a practice of health or a way of caring. And I believe we've talked about this a lot, Bernie. I'll, Okay. Thank you, Tanya. I think it's more an art choosing which uh, you're going to emphasize. And uh, nobody does anything of value alone. It's by making partnership with the person in front of you and with all those in their circle of friends. And uh, I am deeply and great, very grateful to all the people who have contributed to the health wagon, the sisters at the hospital who took the risk of supporting the health wagon for many years, the uh, sisters of Holy Cross who sent volunteers when we didn't have any paid staff, the partnership with Bins Counts, where uh, the playtime story time, where we got young mothers meeting with their kids and being together, we saw the strength of that building healthier families. And that's what we want to be about. And then having uh, other people contributing, whether being on the board or uh, just being ready to say yes when asked for help, rather than starting out saying, uh, I'll do the minimal. We're about doing what it takes, and that's the spirit that we want to encourage in healthcare providers. RAM would not have, remote area medical would not have existed without the support of many, many church members. The uh, people who came from Head Start at the beginning, they gave of their time, they provided the food and the Lions Club, all these groups are willing to make a difference. And that kind of energy invites more and more energy. And that's what it's about. And we are blessed when we can do that. Hmm. 
Well, and it sounds like part of what you're saying is that um, that an individual's health is also dependent on sort of a, a healthy community and, and on community relationships versus just this relationship with a business of a hospital. That's right. It's a common health and a common wealth. And it's not about how many tests in the uh, business of healthcare today we have we're encouraged to order lots of tests. Tests can be good if you don't know, but to be so defensive that you put a patient through tests to verify which you, that which you already have a pretty good idea about is to me unjust. Mm -hmm. And people suffer from that. It is an atmosphere where we're afraid of being sued. But when you build trust with patients, they're not going to sue you. And going through all these tests and the cost of health care is inflated and not real. Mm, yeah. I kind of want to ask a little bit more about this idea of, of the re respect for your patients, because I think a, a lot of us have had an experience of going to a doctor and feeling like we're not, maybe we're not explained to as if we're capable of understanding or um, or the time isn't taken to really make sure that our questions are answered and that we feel like we're a part of deciding on what happens moving forward. And so... I guess if there's people who are listening who are healthcare providers, like what would your advice be about in terms of showing that respect for a patient? The person is the authority on what's going on, and we have to listen very carefully to hear what they are saying. Maybe they don't have all the words, but we have to ask the question and t stay with the patient enough that we can truly understand. And um, a physician who we interviewed for the book gave me a nice insight how in cancer care, very often we use the guilt card to have the patient go through more and more testing that if maybe they find out something more, something more, that is difficult for the patient, for the outcome, and their energy is being expended for something that isn't worthwhile. Mm. That's my opinion, but... <laughs> Hmm. What would you say, Tanya? Do you see lots of... Right. So what does respect look like from the perspective of the patient? You know, when a provider will sit down with a patient and look directly at that patient and talk to them and let them talk and, you know, and listen to what they're saying and respond appropriately to the things that they're saying, you know, and... Um, you can get through a five-minute physician visit with yes-no questions easily. But if you ask your patient to tell me more about this, 
You know, you're looking at more than five minutes, but you're also getting a lot more information that will help you take care of that patient. And they'll be much more apt to tell you things that they might not tell you in five minutes. You know, we're in an area where we have a lot of secrets, unfortunately, that we feel like need to be kept. Secrets about our sexuality, secrets about our hopes, secrets about our dreams, secrets about things that might be happening to us that we should not tell people. And unfortunately, you're not going to get any of that in five minutes. Developing trust, building relationships with your patients takes time. One of the goals of writing the book is to support this approach to patient interaction. Both Tanya and I have some experience, and we want this experience to bear fruit in new providers, and we hope that nursing schools will uh, use the book as a reference and make a difference. Mm -hmm. Getting into the political process is also a very important part of who we are. Mm. Do you want to say more about that? (laughs) (laughs) Nurses must be at the table when policy is directed and policy is created regarding health and health care. Who else knows what needs to happen for our patients and with our patients and with our communities other than nursing? Who else knows? We need to be at the table. We have to be a voice there. And when we are trained alongside uh, medical personnel of all backgrounds, social workers, pharmacists, dentists, physicians, we build trust. We're not competing. We're working together for the good of the patient. And that's another special area that we like. Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds like the health wagon has been in existence for a while, but it's also evolved some. So what does it look like today? It, the health wagon has spread to five different counties and is also going into North Carolina and here into Kentucky in response to invitations and needs. And uh, in Dickinson County, we are going to open a clinic, a stationary clinic in Clintwood in June. And here we'll be able to do telehealth and testing for cardiology and many other specialties. It is expansion and it is due to collaboration with other um, entities. One of the goals of the Health Wagon is to collaborate and to make a better society across the board, not to be just thinking provincially. Mm. The uh, name of the new clinic will be the Sister Bernie Kenny Clinic in Clintwood, Virginia. That's wonderful. It is a federally funded clinic, which will be low cost, a shoestring 
going in and out of dark holes, ah. bringing opposing sides together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I actually did want to ask, what is the actual traveling health wagon? Um, what does it look like? Can people go inside of it? How does it work? It's a Winnebago, a 36-foot Winnebago, and it's got a exam rooms, a mini lab, and medication, a mini pharmacy, and a microscope and all that good stuff. Wow. So it is a mini clinic. How many people are on it at a time when you go somewhere? Are there multiple people working it? There are usually three people who work it, and there can be up to uh, eight (laughs) patients waiting, and you learn a lot when the waiting room is right where you're examining people, <laughs> you overhear a lot. I bet. <laughs> so the therapy, the therapeutic part of it can, begins once you come on board, and it continues during the whole time. Mm, great. Um, so, Tanya, I'm interested in, you have worked with Sister Bernie, um, it sounds like, through the health wagon, and... Um, I'm curious just about that experience and about your experience nursing in Southwest Virginia and maybe how that relates to the book project. Okay. So uh, I graduated nursing school in 1992. Uh, When I graduated, I worked in intensive care, and uh, I was at St. Mary's Hospital in Norton. That was my first job. Sister Bernie was there one day. She was looking for a nurse uh, to work on the health wagon, and she came through ICU, and she asked me if I'd be interested in working on the health wagon. And at that time, I was very young and liked the excitement of that intensive care unit, and I just looked at her like, no. (laughs) What can I do on the health wagon to help anybody? (laughs) You know, I was used to treating heart attacks and strokes and to be on the health wagon in the community, you know, I didn't see the value of that at that time, unfortunately. But uh, Sister Bernie's given me a lot of uh, advice throughout the years. We have worked together at health fairs and that type thing. And she's given me a lot of advice, you know, to look at the patient in a holistic manner, you know, look at them more than just a person that needs a blood pressure pill. You know, look at them more than just a person who wants pain medicine. You know, what is the origin of the pain? What is the origin of anxiety? Um, So she's been very um, helpful to me as a nurse, as a young nurse, a young mother. Um, So, and we've worked together on the book, you know, these past few years. But Sister Bernie's like family, honestly. (laughs) I mean, when my daughter was a year old, she came to a birthday party, and that's been... 20, that's 1993. So that, <laughs> I mean, that's been years. So, uh, you know, I would encourage folks to just get out and meet people. Know who your neighbors are. You know, know your neighbors. Invite them into your home. Uh, Bernie came here from Boston, and she lived in a predominantly black community. And 
my mother-in-law was probably one of her first neighbors, invited her into the home to use the phone. That's the story I heard. That's true. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, if we have too much anxiety about our neighbors and strangers, then we, we miss a lot of blessings. We miss a lot of blessings that way. So, uh, Bernie, I'm glad you came. <laughs> I'm better for being with you. <laughs> we want to thank Ann Liebig, who is a social worker in Abingdon, for the title of the book, Together with Helen Lewis. They gave us a lot of encouragement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did they did they help at all with the with the putting together of the book, or was it kind of they were unofficial advisors or people you could call and? In the beginning, they were very helpful. We talked to Helen. You know, we we kind of we didn't know exactly what format to put the book in and how how to exactly address the things we wanted to address. And she said, "Talk to the people. You know, talk to as many people as you can." They they will guide you in what needs to be said, and that's what we did. And the title is because that's something I say to people when I meet them, and it empowers them. The focus is more on the person that, rather than just on me. Hmm. What else do you think people need to know either about or would you want them to know either about the book or about sort of your philosophy of care? I think about the book, anybody can read it and it is intentional in that anybody can read it. It is to improve how we care one for another. Although somebody said, you got a bachelor degree, I thought it was bachelorette. (laughs) 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 Which was before my time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. That's great. Yeah. Is there anything you would want people to know about the book or about sort of um, the this philosophy of care that you all have put to paper in this project? Yeah. So uh, keep the care in health care. Keep the care in health care because we have much better outcomes for our patients and our families and our communities when we care for each other and care about our communities and the environment. That's what it's about, caring. The secret of cure is care. And so much of the science is in measuring things that are quantifiable, but care is something that is real and is experienced, but it's difficult to measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you both so thank much you. for coming thank in today, you. and yeah, thanks for writing this book. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
That's it for this episode of Mountain Talk, featuring an interview with Sister Bernie Kinney and Nurse Tanya Gully about their work providing and advocating for quality rural health care in central Appalachia. The book is called Better for Being with You, a philosophy of care, and can be found on Amazon. If you'd like to hear this or previous episodes again, you can find them on our website at wmmt.org or download Mountain Talk as a podcast from SoundCloud or Stitcher. Music on this episode features Jenny Hawker and Kay Justice with the tune Come All You Tenderhearted off their album by the same name, which was released by Apple Shop's own June Apple Recordings in 1993. I've been your host and producer, Rachel Geringer, and from all of us at WMMT, thanks for listening to Real People Radio. Her